Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. The scripture reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. Morning, church. Good to see you all. It's kind of back today, but it's been nice to have a little break from the smoke for the last few days, huh? I read somewhere that uh, when it gets to an AQI of 200, it's the equivalent of smoking seven and a half cigarettes in a day, Um, which sounds bad, but I can tell you as a former smoker, that's definitely not true, (laughs) because no one smokes half a cigarette. Like, (laughs) it's kind of an all or nothing sort of thing, so... That's uh, fake news, but (laughs) today is the first Sunday in the season of creation, and uh, if you've never heard of the season of creation, that's because it's a relatively new addition to the church calendar. Uh, It started back in the 1980s um, in Turkey with an Orthodox priest and then some Lutherans from Australia and some Catholics in the Philippines and some Episcopalians in New Jersey got on board and now Christians all over the world of all different nations and denominations celebrate the season of creation during this time of year. And in 2015, Pope Francis officially added it uh, to the Catholic calendar. And so the season of creation is a time obviously when we worship God as our creator 
uh, as the creator of the heavens and the earth and the world uh, in which we live. And so you'll notice we're singing songs that worship God as creator. Our prayers um, are focused on him and his creation. And uh, it's a time where not only do we worship God as creator, but we seek to see our relationships with God and each other and the rest of creation uh, restored. And so that's where we'll be for the next few weeks. Um, I'm excited about the sermon series during creation. It's called Speak to the Earth, Listening to Creation in the Teachings of Jesus. Um, Jesus was a masterful teacher. And one of the things you'll notice in his teachings is that he often draws observations from the natural world to illustrate the kingdom of God. And so he repeatedly encourages his disciples to pay attention to earth and animals, soil and sky, seeds and weeds, vines and branches, rocks and trees, weather and seasons, showing the similarities between life in the natural world and life in the kingdom of God. And so for these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the teachings of Jesus that draw on the beauty and wisdom of God's creation. Um, the series title, Speak to the Earth, I know it sounds kind of artsy-fartsy, but it's straight from the Bible. It's from the book of Job. And the story of Job is that his life is not going well. Things have fallen apart. He's lost everything and everyone that matters to him. And then his three dumb friends show up, and they basically go, Job, how can you still love and trust God after everything you've been through? And in Job 12.7, Job responds... Ask the animals, and they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. So Job tells his friends, if you want to understand how to love and trust God, even in the face of suffering and loss, listen to the earth and the animals. They'll show you how it's done which is essentially the same thing that Jesus does in his teachings, that he calls us to look to God's creation and to let it be our mentor, our teacher, our pastor, our counselor. So that's what this series is about, learning from Jesus how to find God in the world that he's made. This morning, we're looking at one of the most famous examples of this in Jesus' teaching. We're in Matthew 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and the setting is that Jesus is sitting on the mountainside with his disciples, and he's describing for them the kind of community he's calling them to become. And in short, it's a contrast community, a people whose lives and priorities are completely upside down from the world around them. So while everyone else is pursuing power and pleasure and wealth and worldliness, Jesus says that his followers will live lives marked by prayer and simplicity and forgiveness and generosity. Now, starting in verse 25, Jesus proposes another characteristic of those who follow him, and that is the absence of worry in their lives. So rather than being anxious, fearful, insecure, Jesus calls his disciples to be content and confident in him even when life's hard and we don't know how things are going to turn out. So we're just going to focus in on the first few verses of this passage this morning. We'll start in verse 25. 
Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? So there you go. If you're having a hard time, if you're worried about your life, Jesus' advice is, don't worry, just stop. Um, which is super helpful, right? Um, and we all know it's not quite as easy as that. Um, before we move on, I want to pause and make sure that we know that when Jesus talks about things like worry and anxiety, he's not talking about what we understand to be clinical anxiety disorders, right? He's not talking about the one out of five of us who suffer from real diagnosable anxiety uh, disorders, phobias, OCD, PTSD, other things like that. Um, we know that the church hasn't always done a great job of acknowledging and normalizing the struggle of those who live with anxiety or depression or other forms of uh, mental illness. And so um, for many of us, we even come from spiritual backgrounds that are critical of things like psychotherapy or, um, or medications. Um, you know that I, I don't personally struggle with anxiety, but I live with depression and I've had to seek counseling and medical help for it. And there was a time where that's something I would have been ashamed of as a Christian. Um, but now, if there's a pill I can take every day that's gonna make me happy, I'm gonna thank God and do it. So, um, so no shame or shade on any of you who live with anxiety or depression. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Now, I do think that his words hold transformative power for those who struggle with mental health. But what he's talking about here is really the everyday garden variety kind of anxiety and worry that we're all prone to. And so he starts by giving a few examples of the kinds of things people tend to worry about. What we'll eat, what we'll drink, our bodies, what we'll wear. Okay, so again, for most of us in this room, we don't live with anxiety about where our next meal will come from. Although we know that Food insecurity is the reality for many people around the world, including here in Central Oregon. Um, but even if that's not us, we do worry about not having enough or about not being enough. And for many of us in this room, we don't literally worry about having nothing to wear, even if we use that phrase, but we all spend time worrying about our bodies our health, our appearance. And so what does Jesus say when we find ourselves worrying? He says, let me show you why you don't need to live like that. In verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So here, to help us overcome our tendency to worry, Jesus points us to another part of God's creation. Look at the birds of the air. John Stott was one of the most influential Christian leaders in the last century, and he took this teaching of Jesus really seriously. In fact, he thought that if Jesus said to look at the birds, then followers of Jesus ought to be avid bird watchers. 
and he actually wrote a book called The Birds Are Teachers about all the theological and biblical lessons we can learn um, by watching birds. So I know we've got some bird watchers here. Who are the birders in the house? Okay, these are, these are the real Christians, so <laughs> hang out with them. Uh, you also know that here at Antioch, we have our very own ornithologist in Raptor Rick Gerhardt, um, who's one of our elders, and, and Rick has literally devoted his life to obeying this teaching from Jesus. <laughs> this is what he does, is look at birds. And um, I can tell you that from hanging out with Rick over the last uh, several years, and especially getting to travel to several different places in the world with him, it has given me a whole new awareness and appreciation for the world of birds. Um, so for example, when I was in Scotland for school a couple months ago, I kept finding myself geeking out about all these incredible birds, which is not, I mean, the scotch would typically be what would get me excited. But, um, but one day, uh, we were out with my cohort hiking on the cliffs of the island of Staffa, and we came across this colony of puffins. And um, I sat there for over an hour just watching these hilarious little clown birds, like walking around, and they look like little paratroopers when they come in for a landing. And I just thought they were so hilarious. And um, it was literally one of the highlights of my entire time in the UK. When I got back and was processing my trip with my spiritual director, he asked me, um, at what point did you feel most loved by God? And I said, with those stupid puffins. <laughs> um, so there's something here. Um, but there's even more than that. A few days ago, I asked Rick about Matthew and why Jesus would tell us to look at the birds to learn how to overcome our fears about not having enough or not being enough. And of course, Rick could talk about that for hours, and uh, I would have loved that. But the basic observation that he shared is that the way God provides for each type of bird is closely tied to the unique way he designed them. Okay, so the way God provides for each type of bird is closely tied to the unique way he designed them. Okay, so I'll give you a couple examples. Rick told me about the American Dipper. It doesn't look all that special. It looks kind of like a robin or something, but here's what's crazy about it. It's a songbird that knows how to swim. And it lives along the streams and the mountains, and the way it gets its food is by swimming down to the bottom of the stream bed and hunting for insects and larvae under the rocks and the debris. That's amazing. So how does God provide for the American Dipper? Through the unique way that he designed it that enables it to swim and to sing songs of praise all year long. Rick also told me about the Golden Eagle and how everything about it is designed for its way of life. If you look at that picture, eagles are famous for their eyes, right? But did you know that their eyesight is so strong they can spot prey from over a mile away? And in fact, in Job 39, God specifically says that the way he provides for the eagle is by giving it the ability to see prey far off from its home on the rocky crag. 
Okay? Not only that, God also designed the eagle's hooked beak, its powerful legs, its sharp talons perfectly for capturing and processing the kind of prey that it feeds on, and its digestive system is specifically designed to take, to take any undigestible food that it eats, like the grass and leaves in the stomach of a jackrabbit, for example, and it casts them back up, kind of like an owl pellet, and only the nutritious stuff then makes the journey through the digestive system. And so the idea is that God's design for each bird is just amazing. And we could go on and on, but the point is, again, that when Jesus says his heavenly father feeds the birds, the way God does that is by creating them in such a way that they are able to find and catch and process and digest the specific kinds of food their bodies need. So interesting. And so important because it would be really easy to misunderstand Jesus here if you wanted to. Somebody might say, well, Jesus says don't worry about my life or what I'll eat or drink or wear and that just like God provides for the birds, he's gonna provide for me. So I don't need to work that hard. I don't need to plan. I don't need to go to school or get a degree or get a job because hey, God will provide. That's what Jesus says. Um, but obviously, if you think about it for just one minute <laughs> or if you look at just one bird, um, you'll realize that's not what Jesus is saying. Does God provide for our needs? Yes. How does he do it? Most often, the same way that he provides for the birds. By designing us in such a way that we can take the raw materials of his creation and work with them and cultivate them and draw out their potential for flourishing. Okay, so from the birds now, we begin to learn about the Christian idea of vocation. We use vocation synonymously with career or occupation a lot, but that's really not what vocation is. Vocation comes from the Latin voca, where we get the word vocal. And so your vocation is your voice. It's the song your life is meant to sing. And when we look at the birds, we see that God's provision for them is through the intricate design and calling on each of their lives, and it's the same with us. He's uniquely created and called each one of us to play our role in his story. And so here's how author David Benner defines vocation. It's the way of being that is both best for us and best for the world. So don't try to misunderstand Jesus here by saying, hey, I don't need to work that hard because God will provide. That's not what you see when you look at the birds. They're not lazy animals, right? Uh, Eugene Peterson tells the story of watching a kingfisher perched on a branch over Flathead Lake, and he sees this bird diving down into the water over and over again, trying to catch fish, but coming up empty beaked over and over again. And Peterson says that he started counting and it was 37 dives before the kingfisher finally caught a fish. And Peterson said, and he's the kingfisher. <laughs> Somehow, sometimes that's how God provides. 
So, when we look at the birds, we see that God created them. He knows them. He loves them. He cherishes every single one of them. And he provides for them, not by dropping food directly into their beaks, but by creating a world filled with food and wiring them with unique instincts and abilities to collect it. Jesus says he's a good father who cares for his creation. So, what does Jesus tell you to do when you find yourself worrying? Go find a bird. Any bird will do. And watch it. Because according to Jesus, you don't need to worry about your life because the God who loves and cares for the birds loves and cares for you even more. The next thing he teaches us about worry is that it doesn't work. In verse 27, Jesus asks, Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So this is one of the five questions that Jesus asks in this part of his sermon. Basically, he goes, so, worrying all the time, how's that working for you? His point is that not only is worry incompatible with faith in God, but it's also incompatible with common sense. It doesn't actually do you any good, right? And we might say, but Jesus, you don't understand how hard or complicated or scary the world is right now. You don't understand what I'm up against. You want me to just sit around and do nothing while the world falls apart? And Jesus would go, no, that's not what I said. Go ahead and do whatever you need to do. That's not the problem. The problem is you sitting around worrying about the stuff you can't do anything about. So for me, personally, this has been one of the most practical and useful teachings of Jesus throughout my life. And when I find myself dealing with excessive amounts of fear or anxiety or insecurity, here's what I do. I run it through this flowchart. Here's how it works. When you're worried about a situation in your life, ask yourself, is there something I can do about it? If the answer's yes, then do it and don't worry. If the answer's no, then trust God and don't worry. <laughs> you see how brilliant Jesus is? Um, I've had a mental version of this for years, but I never actually drew it out until this week. Uh, he, is, he is so smart, <laughs> right? He's saying, if there's something you can do about the situation, then do it. But if there's nothing you can do about it, then worrying isn't going to change anything. It's not going to help you out at all. It's not going to make things any better. So either do what needs to be done or trust God to do what only he can do. See, because the opposite of worry isn't indifference. It's trust. And in the end, trust is our first and truest vocation. We were created and called to live in a trusting relationship with God. Which means that the sign that we're growing in our faith isn't that our life is going better now than it was a year ago. It's that we've become more dependent on God than we were a year ago. Like when we pray the Lord's Prayer together, 
That's our declaration of dependence. That's the full and abundant life that Jesus calls us to. And I think that the reason so many of us struggle to pray is because we aren't living lives that require God. We've forgotten how to need him. Strangely enough, it's often the provisions, not the provisions, but the troubles in our lives that God uses to teach us how to need him again. Which is why, in verse 34, Jesus doesn't guarantee that life will be easier, things will go our way. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Does Jesus promise that we won't have trouble? No, in fact, he predicts that we will probably every day, which I would say checks out, right? (laughs) Most days there's something. And what's crazy is we can learn this by watching the birds too, right? Because yes, God knows them and loves them and cares for them, but things don't always go great for the birds either. I kid you not, this week as I was in my office studying this passage of scripture, I heard a massive thump on my window, and sure enough, a bird had smashed into it and dropped dead. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And I I went outside. I think it's still out there. There's this beautiful little yellow goldfinch that's just dead in the dirt. I'm like, all right, Jesus. Uh, (laughs) Things don't always go well. Apparently, life under God's care and provision for the birds and for us doesn't preclude us from trouble or even from death. But that's okay. That's okay. Because our goal isn't a trouble-free life. Our goal is a life of trusting dependence upon our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us, just like he does for the birds. So trouble will come. We all know that. Jesus says it here, and he says it again in John 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So as members of Christ's church, our hope isn't in a life without trouble. Our hope is in the life death, and resurrection of the one who has overcome the world. So Antioch, I have a gift to you today, a short sermon. (laughs) And the good news that you have a father who has perfectly designed you for the life that he's called you to live. And you have a savior who has defeated sin and death so you have nothing to be afraid of. And you have a spirit living in you who is actively at work forming the character of Christ in your heart. So you've got nothing to worry about. Amen.